Good morning. Good morning. I want to say welcome, of course, to you guys and then to anyone joining us online today. It's good to be gathered together where we can grow closer to God and to each other on a weekly basis. I have a public service announcement to start with. In case you did not know, every week we offer Bibles in service. In case you want to follow along with the reading, we will have the ushers come down with those in just a minute. But before we do, I just want you to know that if you are wanting to start the habit of becoming a new you in the new year, and part of that is reading the Bible, then this is a great place to do that. I once had a piano teacher who uh, I, I skipped lesson one week the way I play piano, you'd think I skipped them all. Uh, but I skipped a lesson the one week, and I didn't come in. And uh, the, so the next week she said, why did you miss? And I said, well, I hadn't practiced the whole week, and so I figured I didn't want to come in and waste your time. Uh, and she said, oh, okay, well, I understand. Um, but wouldn't it be better if you, didn't, uh, if you didn't practice piano that you would come into your lesson, so at the very least, you're playing for 30 minutes every week? Oh, that said, if you haven't even thought of a Bible this week, this is a great place to do that. And if you're worried, like, I haven't read my Bible the whole week, I don't want to grab one now and look holier than thou. Like, nobody thinks you're holy anyway. It's fine. So, that being said, ushers, come on down. If you would like to use a physical Bible in the service, just go ahead and raise your hand to borrow one, or you can follow along on a Bible app. We're going to be in Matthew 4, for those of you who want to get a head start. <clears throat> I am athletic. Thank you for not laughing. All right. One time in my life, I finished a half marathon. True story. I completed a half marathon. It was the pinnacle of my athletic career. But years before that, when I was in middle school, which I consider life's gauntlet, it's impossible to get through there unscathed, uh, I was in a relay race, and I was, I was the last leg of the race. So I was standing there waiting for them to, to pass me with the baton with my hand back, and then, and then I, as soon as they gave it to me, I, I grabbed it, and then my leg caught behind the other one. And I went straight down, face to the floor, didn't even get off the line. That said, how's everybody's New Year's resolutions coming along? <laughs> Yeah, you can relate to that. All right, all right, quick. Uh, I'm not going to ask for any more um, uh, to explain this, but if you are a resolutions person, if you made any sort of commitments for the new year, I would like you to go ahead and raise your hand just, just like that. Just raise it up high, hold it there. All right, and if you are one of those people who are like, I'm done with resolutions, just I want you to, to hold a fist in the air, like, darn you, resolutions. <laughs> all right, look around, find your people. These are the ones like you. I think there were like six in the first service who, who'd wanted to try anything. Uh, me, myself, I am a resolution person. Uh, I think there's something exciting about going into the new year and trying to find something about a new me. And it's not necessarily that I don't like the old me in the old year, uh, but I think there's something exciting about God completing his work in me, and I believe that he who began a good work in me and in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, that God is doing work in us and he's completing it. And uh, that's, I think, an encouraging word that we get to participate in that. Now, I believe God is carrying his work into completion uh, because it is written. 
and it is written in this book, which is uh, really a collection of 66 books and letters of psalms, uh, poetry, philosophy, uh, songs, history. It's got uh, at least 40 authors over about 2,000 years, and yet it tells one singular story. And it's the story of Jesus wrapped up in the story of a God who loves us and is doing all that he can uh, to bring us back to himself over and over. He's blessing a people so that they can go out and be a blessing to the world. And guess what? You get to be a part of that story, and so do I. So today we're going to look at a specific part of the, our grander story, and this is an epic battle between the forces of good and evil, and the fate of the whole world lies in the balance, and there are exactly zero lightsabers. Uh, let's turn to Matthew 4, verse 1. So Matthew, it's the first gospel, the first uh, telling of the story of Jesus. It'll be, if you're using a physical Bible, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, you will find Matthew. And this passage in chapter 4 is commonly referred to as the temptation of Jesus. In the original language, that word uh, temptation could be temptation or testing. Uh, and we're going to continue the story where we left off last week. So Jesus has just been baptized by his cousin, John, the badly dressed bug eater. And he is... <laughs> Uh, he's, he baptizes Jesus and the, the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on Jesus. And then the Father, uh, God the Father says, he declares, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Going straight from there, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus is baptized, God claims him as his own, and immediately the Spirit sends Jesus. I imagine the Spirit is still in the form of a bird of some sort, and he's like chasing him out into the desert, and he's like, follow your nose, and no, nobody, okay, fine, we can have your boring version of the Holy Spirit, uh, but he sends him off into the desert for 40 days of fasting and prayer. Uh, 40 days is a very common number in the Bible. You'll see uh, Noah was on the ark and the earth was flooded for 40 days. The Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. So if you're turning 40 this year, like celebrate it. God's doing something. And if you're turning 50, <laughs> so Jesus is out there for 40 days. And after he's out there, Luke gives us this very profound statement. He was hungry. Now, I, don't, I know the Bible is hard to understand, but if you haven't eaten for 40 days, you're going to be hungry. I know there are some people in this room who would sell their soul for a Kit Kat after 40 minutes. You know who you are. So Jesus is hungry, and he's there in the desert, and he encounters the devil. So a quick time out in the story. Does this sound familiar at all? That uh, God had done a really big and powerful work. And then at the beginning of the story, Satan shows up and he tries to derail God's plan. Uh, and the first way that he uses it uh, is with food. Does that maybe echo the Garden of Eden at all? Adam and Eve are there. Um, God had provided them, Adam and Eve, everything that they needed in the garden uh, and yet Satan comes to try to trick them to take something that they thought 
they would need. And just by them eating this fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, death, decay, guilt, shame, separation, all entered into a world where it was not originally. So maybe the devil looked at a hungry Jesus and thought, I did it once, I can do it again. Let me see if I can get him to break his promises and ruins God's rescue plan. And Satan plays dirty. In verse three, Satan starts, he says, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. If if you are the Son of God. Uh, remember, this is right after Jesus' baptism where the Father, uh, God the Father said explicitly, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, have you ever had that happen? Right when somebody tells you something good or true about yourself, somebody else says something that's not true or even worse, you say it yourself. Uh, this is basically uh, the, the attack that Satan's going to use over and over. He's speaking truth and life over Jesus and the devil is just trying to derail it by Tearing, uh, tearing it down with sowing seeds of doubt. And this is really the exact same tactic that he used on Eve when he said, did God actually say you couldn't eat that? Did God actually say that? There's just doubt. Friends, this is real life stuff. And Satan's tricks were the same in the beginning, were the same 2,000 years ago, and are the same today as they have been. And if you want to become a new you in this new year, just know immediately when you start, Satan's going to try to get you to fall right on your face, because that's what he does. And we imagine, well, let me ask this, you know, do I believe that there's a real devil? Uh, yes, I do, because he keeps showing up. Uh, but one thing that I want to get straight here is we imagine there's like this power struggle between God and man, like, or God and Satan, and God is here, and Satan's here, and they're equals, and they're, they're going back and forth. But in reality, like, God is way up here, and Satan, he's there. He is under God's feet. Because Jesus eternally defeated Satan and death when he was raised from the dead. And we look back in Genesis 3.15, the passage where we found Adam and Eve, this was foretold. God says, I will put enmity between you, which is Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And he, the woman's offspring, who is Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Uh, Jesus crushed the enemy's head. That's freaking sweet. One thing I love is in the sanctuary, how if you look underneath the altar Bible, if you were to go up on the altar in the sanctuary, you'll see uh, this snake down at the bottom. And as I understand it, Pastor Magnuson used to preach from exactly that spot during the gospel reading because the good news is that Satan's head has been crushed and the enemy has been defeated. Whoop, whoop. That's the gospel right there. Amen. <laughs> But the question is, if Satan has fallen, why does our world still seem to crumble? And why do we face the same challenges? Uh, it's because we live in uh, what some theologians will call the already, but not yet. They're intertwined. Like the kingdom of heaven is here, but the kingdom of heaven is near. And we're just in this messy in-between time because we're not uh, in our new heavens and new earth yet, which is coming. So Jesus won the battle globally, but we're still fighting battles locally. And that's the situation that we're in. And the interesting thing is the devil doesn't have to be strong. We talked about the power struggle. He just has to be clever. And all he really needs to do is find a way to leverage that power and sowing seeds of doubt 
is a perfect way to do that. Those questions, did God really say this? And, and Jesus, you know, who do you think you are? That's what he's going to throw at you and at me. So when Satan asks these questions and tries to sow these seeds of doubt, what's your response going to be? What do you have to arm yourself? With Eve, she tried to use her rationale, and we saw where that got her and Adam and all of creation. So uh, all we can really do is say, Jesus Show us a better way. Can we all say that? Jesus, show us a better way. Well, here we go. Verse 4, same story. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. When confronted by Satan, when confronted about who he was and whose he was and by whose authority he walks in, Jesus says the words, It is written. He doesn't even answer all that mess. He just says, It is written. And he consults the Bible. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 8. It says, God humbled you, causing you, the Israelites, to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Deuteronomy is the fifth and final book of the Jewish Torah. And Jesus knew the scriptures well enough that when he was tempted, he could draw on that knowledge and have an answer to the devil. And how did he know that? Is it because Jesus is fully man and fully God? So, so he had it. He just had this like instant download or this cheat code that he could use. Um, you know, if you look back at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, um, Mary and Joseph are taking Jesus to the temple. They're there for a festival. And when they leave, uh, Joseph and Mary had not left that Jesus had been left behind. No big deal. We forgot the Son of God. Uh, so if you think you're a bad parent, <laughs> that's pretty terrible. But when they went back to Jerusalem, they found him at the temple uh, learning from the rabbis and the scribes and the teachers. And uh, I think Jesus just had a desire for these things. He had an innate uh, want to know the things of God. I, I, I don't think it was the the fully godness that gave him uh, secret access to secret knowledge. Um, but Psalm 119, I think, describes this well and how it relates to us. I mean, how can a young person, so young people, listen up. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you, God, with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So if you want a practical step to becoming a new you, here it is. Hide God's word in your heart. It's good on the page, but it's great in here. So let's look at more examples of this. Back to Jesus and the devil. Jesus was hungry and answered, uh, I live on every word that comes from God's mouth. So the devil, uh, temptation number two, he takes him to the top of the temple. And whether this is a physical transportation or a vision, we're not exactly sure. But regardless, they are there. And he says, Satan says, if you are the son of God, there's that again, uh, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. Then they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan is quoting Psalm 91. It's like, wait a second, wait a second. I just told you guys a psalm that you could use to, to, to encourage you to learn God's word. And Satan, he's using a psalm against Jesus. 
what do we do with that? This gets tricky. Uh, but I want, this is supposed to be 25 minutes and not 25 days, so I'm going to simplify it in just this, that context is everything. Just because somebody is quoting the Bible does not mean that they are speaking for God. Uh, yet another good reason to have the Bible in front of you. So you can tell if somebody's just ripping out a verse that doesn't mean anything uh, than what they want it to. So um, speaking of context, that psalm that Satan is quoting, Psalm 91, it's traditionally a messianic uh, psalm, and Jesus was the Messiah, so Satan's trying to use it against Jesus, but Jesus knows he's the Messiah, and he knows how to use that psalm right, uh, and he's like, that's not what it means, and what he says instead is he responds with scripture again from Deuteronomy, and he says, it is also written, Satan, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus two, Satan zero, into the third period. Now we're at the third and final temptation. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Question, does Satan have the authority to make that promise? Huh? Uh, maybe. Best I can say is maybe, because in John 12, Jesus himself calls Satan the prince of this world. It's almost like there's this, this potential delegated authority, and we could talk about all sorts of scriptures, but like I said, we're keeping it uh, short today. Uh, but he, Jesus also includes that Satan will be driven out of the world. So it seems maybe he had some authority to do this. But this kind of temptation, we see it all the time in movies. Somebody's trying to uh, sell their soul for some worldly pleasure or earthly treasure, and right here, Jesus faces that same temptation. The temptation was to shortcut the means to get to the end, to bypass the suffering, to get to the glory. So Satan's basically saying, Jesus, you want to be king of kings and lord of lords? How about we get you there without the rejection, without the humiliation, and without the torture? Seems like a pretty good deal. Uh, Jesus could have chosen that, but the glory that Satan offers is temporary. And it's good in this life only. And if Jesus' eyes, uh, excuse me, Jesus' eyes weren't fixed on this life only. In fact, Jesus' eyes were fixed on eternity. And I think that's a good lesson for all of us. That when we have our minds and our eyes fixed on today and today's problems, it's harder to make the right decision, but when we see in light of eternity, the hope is that God's plan will be what stirs up and wells up in our hearts, and we will make decisions based on that, not on our current situation. And because God's purposes only come by God's means, because uh, God's outcomes only come on God's terms, Jesus says, uh, you know what, we're going to go a different route. Because Jesus, instead of taking it the easy way, he would be tortured, humiliated, abandoned. He was the lamb that is slain, seemingly defeated, but then he would be raised up in glory and in power and seated at the right hand of the Father and to be King of kings and Lord of lords for eternity, not just in this life, but in the life to come. That seems like a better deal. Amen? Let's go for that. And so Jesus says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended to him. I would, I would just have loved to be able to see that. Um, so the question then, what do these temptations have to do with us? I'm not being tempted to turn stones into bread, though I did walk into the office Monday morning and see a huge pile of donuts, and that was pretty much the same thing, right? <laughs> yeah? No? 
Yeah, no, not, not exactly. It's really not a one-to-one, and I think that just proves the point that it's, it's hard to connect the dots here. What does this encounter really have to do with us? Well, let me make it plain. First temptation, turning stones into bread. The temptation here is, are you going to wait for God's provision, or are you going to do everything in your power to control your situation uh, rather than trusting God for the outcome? Real simple question, do I really believe God will provide for me? Our temptation isn't turning stones to bread. Our temptation is to keep control in our times of need uh, rather than trusting God for the outcome. And a few questions, a few ways this might look uh, is like this. Do I spend sleepless nights worrying about things outside of my power rather than handing them over to God? Or do I look for shortcuts on my taxes because I believe I need to provide for myself? Or do I withhold tithes and offerings from God because I I don't trust that God will give me everything I need? Not want, but need. Do I believe God will really provide for me? Second temptation, jump off a building and ask God to catch you. The question here really, do I arrogantly presume God's favor? Like, sure, you might not be on the top of the sanctuary steeple uh, about to dive headlong on towards 61 asking God to catch you. But the situation that we could see here is, uh, do you presume that because you're in God's grace that you can live like the devil Monday through Saturday and count on God to wash you clean on Sunday? I think the Apostle Paul addresses this well. He says, what shall we say then? Uh, this is in Romans. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. A new life, a different way of living. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Lutheran theologian and 20th century martyr, said in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, this is about God's grace, says, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. When we're truly living into God's grace... We aren't recklessly diving off buildings, hoping that God will catch us. Instead, we are tethered to heaven by Jesus, who will catch us in case we fall. Do I arrogantly presume God's favor? Third temptation, worshiping someone or something else as a shortcut to what God offers. The question here, do I settle for a convenient counterfeit to God's best? You know, we could easily try to shortcut hard work uh, to get an easier ending by maybe having an affair rather than working on a marriage. Um, Or perhaps we can see the faults in others and blame them for them instead of seeing the faults and growth opportunities in ourselves and allowing God's character to change us. There, There are easier ways. Uh, But God is completing his work and his good purposes in us. And when we let God do that, when we let God complete his works in us, then God can complete his good work and purpose through us. He can bless us to be a blessing to the world. 
So when we work on our marriage problems or really any relationship, we become a living testimony of God's covenant uh, to us and his covenant faithfulness. And when we stop seeing everyone else as the problem and allow the Holy Spirit to start working on us, we allow God to transform our character and we don't take the easy way around, but rather we take the hard way through and we let the world know that God is still in the business of life transformation. He's still doing it. And you get to put that on display. But how do we do it? How do we get there? Make it plain, preacher. As Pastor Angie said last week, the Holy Spirit's power in us is the first step. And we talked about that last week, which comes by faith in Jesus. After that, Jesus answered the devil three times. And what did he say each time? What three words did he use? It is written. written. That's right. So if we want to live lives that honor God and say no to the devil, we've got some homework to do. We need to know what's in these 66 books. Uh, The scripture, really knowing them, is one of God's tools for our faithfulness. And uh, you don't have to memorize the whole Bible. Do you know how I got all the scriptures for this sermon today? I Googled them. (laughs) That's right. Secrets out. I, I thought, I thought, huh, this is, I think I know in the Bible something about this, and then I searched on the internet, and I put it in, and that's okay. You don't have to memorize the whole Bible, but knowing what's in here allows you to draw from it, because I tell you what, there are not any scriptures that I used in today's message that I didn't already have somewhere in my heart. They were dusty, but they were available. I could draw on them. This word, it's, it's, it's a gift that we've been given. God's word, the Psalms call it a light to our feet uh, and a lamp to our path. Paul tells his, his disciple, Timothy, he says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching, which we still do, because all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you want to be equipped for every good work? Yeah? Get in here! This is where it's at. Uh, You might think to yourself, okay, okay, Dan, I've tried that. I've tried reading the Bible, and uh, I just don't know where to start. And I understand. I've been there. Uh, Some days I am there. You know, the Bible is not always exciting to read, and we go through peaks and valleys and different levels of interest as we go. But I can tell you one thing. If your spiritual life is starving, then this this right here, I guarantee you, this is the food you need. Uh, Paul says it well uh, in Hebrews 5 when he's talking about uh, sustaining you for the faith journey. He says, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And I get that. Our baby is eight months old, and if all we give her is milk all day, she throws a fit because it's not enough. She needs sustenance. She needs that protein. And just a heads up for those of you who have been in the faith for a long time or even just starting your journey, the stuff that gets you through the beginning of life isn't going to be enough to sustain you at the end. Jesus loves me is good for a time, but after a while, you need to get to that meat. So keep diving in. 
How do we do that, though? Very practical. I'm going to break it down to super simple steps here, okay? Number one, everybody say number one. Number one one is find your Bible. (laughs) If you don't know where it is, find it and dust it off. Uh, If you don't have one, well, first, let me, let me, I got this article that I saw. Um, It is from the Babylon Bee. It says, running late for church, local man easily locates Bible where he left it last Sunday. (laughs) Yes, if, if you can relate to this, if you don't know where your Bible is, or if you don't have one, uh, if you, uh, first, if you, if you don't know where it is, find it. If you don't have one, today, I want you to stop by the orange wall on your way out and let them know, I don't own a Bible. Because if that's you, we're going to give you one. We're going to give you one to take home, because we believe that every home should be equipped with the Word of God, and every believer should be able to access it. I mean, especially if you're Lutheran, right? That's kind of what Martin Luther was all about. Uh, number two, after the finding of the Bible, say it together. Read it. Yes. Okay. That's helpful, right? Uh, this is going to be different for everyone, and anyone on staff would be more than happy to let you know where to read. But just so you know, uh, in your bulletin today, go ahead, take out your bulletin, take, out the, take a look at the study guide, open it up. Uh, you will find in the discussion guide that there are specific questions uh, designed to get you reading this week. And if you're just getting started, if you're looking at how to be a new you, or if you want to know more about Jesus, uh, there are suggested readings for each of those, and I hope that it's helpful and it's just a starting point. But for many of us, we have the same thought. Okay, okay, I've tried these things before. How is it going to be different this time? Uh, And first, let me just acknowledge this. If you've been trying and failing, first, God bless you. Seriously, for trying for making the effort, for going through the steps. God bless you for even trying, because sometimes it's not just the activity, it's how we do it. Um, It's time, if you've stopped trying, to try again, and this time with people, to try again, because the Christian life, the Jesus-following life, uh, we believe that it is best lived in a circle. This one hour we spend shoulder to shoulder looking forward here on a Sunday is not enough to sustain you. We have to do life in community. We have to do life together. And here at uh, Community of Grace, that's why we are so passionate about our growth groups. So number three is join a growth group. Growth groups, they're small groups of people who gather together to share life, break open the Bible. Often we break bread together and we discuss how to follow Jesus together. A lot of them are sermon-based, some aren't, but my group is in its second year and I can truly say that we have grown in faith and discipleship and relationship because we've been meeting consistently about three times a month. I see one of my members back there shaking her head. Yep, it's true. So next week, we want to help you do that. If you're not in a growth group, we want you to be in one. And so next week, we have our connection event, and that's going to happen in the commons next Sunday at 11.45 a.m., and we're going to get you in a growth group that day. It's going to happen. You will be in a group, and you're going to have a 10-week trial period. So if you're scared of huge commitments, uh, that's where you're going to start, all right? 10-week starter group, and there will even be an off-ramp if needed. Or the group can continue going on, and the majority of our groups have continued on. So in order to get involved with that, you can show up next week. It's also helpful for us to prepare if you sign up for the orange wall after this service. So Jesus' answer to the devil's temptation was God's word, It is written. 
And as we head into this new year together, let's commit to the process of continuing to be uh, renewed, refreshed, revitalized, uh, reinvigorated by the Word of God together. You know, the Bible isn't just some outdated, archaic, historical, fictional document that we can just, uh, it's irrelevant, we can brush aside. No, it's, a, it's an infinitely relevant passionate pursuit of God's heart after his people through Jesus Christ. And an amazing part of that is we get invited into this story. Let's pray together. Father, pray that these words will land and that your purposes will be fulfilled in us so our purposes uh, can become your purposes, so that your good purposes will be fulfilled through us Move in us to love and seek you more. Inspire in us a thirst for your word. We pray that you will help us to be more like Jesus, empowered by your spirit to be a blessing to the whole world. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Amen.